You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. Every one of us wants to be part of a loving church that is impacting the world for the glory of God. It's hard to run into a Christian that doesn't want that. But how does that happen? How does it happen? The churches become the loving. The churches are making an impact in the world for the glory of God. My mind keeps going to Ephesians 4. We're not going to park there this morning, but we're going to read it. It'll be on the slide if you'd like to follow along. But I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. And the reason we're reading this passage is to look for an answer. We're looking for an answer to the question, how does the church become loving and impactful for the glory of God? The Bible says in Ephesians 4.11, and he, that would be Jesus Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did you catch that phrase? Did you catch it? It says, when each part is walking, working properly. Or some of you have the NIV. It says, when each part does its work. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? It means this, that everybody is needed. If our church is going to be characterized by the love of Christ, making an impact for his glory in our world, everybody has a part to play. You have a part to play. You know, I've been a pastor for a long time, and over the years I've heard people say things like this. I don't know what I have to offer. I'm no preacher. Not very musical either. And so often I think of ministry as what happens up front. You know, ministry is what happens up front. Those guys that preach the word, those people that lead us in worship. You know, it's the up front ministry. Uh, the rest of us are the audience. The rest of us are spectators. Friends, you can answer this one out loud. <laughs> Who are the ministers at Christ's Covenant Church? Thank you. I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> it's going to be a difficult sermon if you didn't. <laughs> yes, we all are. We are all the ministers, the servers. We are all the ministers of Christ's covenant church. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we just read in Ephesians 4.16. When each part is working properly. When every member of the church, every part of the church is doing his work, then the church becomes mature. We collectively, not just individually, but we collectively as a church family, reflect Christ more clearly. 
We reflect his love. We reflect, reflect his fruitfulness in this world. So how does that happen? Join me now in our text for today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to spend most of our time in verses 8 to 11. We will drop down to verse 28 too. <clears throat> but to get the context, <clears throat> to get the context, we're going to back up to verse 4. And kind of get a running leap. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 4, and we'll read down through verse 11, <clears throat> and then we'll drop down to verse 28. Now, oh, by the way, when I read this, I want you to pay attention to <clears throat> um, attention-getting words. Do you hear any certain words being repeated? Any words that the Apostle, by the Holy Spirit, is emphasizing? So you listen for words of emphasis. Ready? <clears throat> See if I am. <clears throat> now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, if you allow me, drop down to verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? So what words did you hear emphasized? What words did you hear repeated? Same and varieties. Yeah, those two words keep cropping up in this passage, don't they? Varieties and same. There's a variety of gifts in the church, but the same spirit. And Paul's emphasizing that. It's quite deliberate. Now, let's remember why the Holy Spirit led Paul to write 1 Corinthians in the first place. It was written for us, but it was written to the church in Corinth. Why was it written to them? What were they struggling with? Well, the church in Corinth had a lot of struggles, to be candid, but we don't have time to talk about all their struggles right now. But one of their struggles was this. There seems, reading between the lines, there seems to have been a big problem at the church in Corinth that one of the spiritual gifts had become so prominent in their thinking, so prominent in their affections, that they were using that gift as if that particular gift was the standard of spirituality. That if you really want to be spiritual, you'll use this gift. Everybody in the church should have this gift. Ideally, a good church, everybody has this same gift. And in Corinth, what was that gift? Speaking in tongues. And they were promoting this idea that there's one gift that really matters. There's one gift that identifies you as a spiritual person. Speaking in tongues. Now Paul's going to stretch them. He's going to stretch these people in Corinth to realize that's not the way God designed it. 
God did not design everybody to speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is not the mark of spirituality. And so he keeps emphasizing with them, emphasizing with them repeatedly. There's a variety of gifts. There's one spirit, there's one source, one dispenser of the gifts. But he gives a wide variety. He gives a diversity, a variety of gifts. You know, over the centuries, many churches have struggled with the concept of unity. Many churches have wrongly assumed that to have unity, we have to have uniformity. Are you, you aware of the difference between those words, unity, uniformity? Uniformity means well alike. And some churches try to have everyone alike and maybe the way they dress or what translation they like or even, sadly, what race or ethnicity they are. That we're all this way, we're all the same this way. In some churches, they've done that with spiritual gifts. We're all supposed to have the same spiritual gift. That's, that's unity. No, that's not unity. That's uniformity. God isn't into uniformity, friends. God's into unity in the context of diversity. God made this world so diverse. There's such variety in creation, isn't there? And there's such variety in the recreation, the church. That as you look at the church, we are intentionally diverse. We are intentionally various in our backgrounds, in our looks, in our ethnicities, and yes, in our spiritual gifts. And the Holy Spirit gives a variety of gifts, and then he unifies the church. He brings us together in the context of diversity. God gets glory in that, because that's very difficult to do. And, but God can do that, and so he gets glory by bringing unity in the context of diversity. That's God's design. So we're going to look this morning at this one source of gifts, the Holy Spirit, but we're going to spend most of our time looking at the varieties, the the different kinds of gifts the Holy Spirit gives us. So let's go back to the passage here in 1 Corinthians and begin by asking a series of questions. If you're trying to follow the sermon this morning, we're going to ask four or five big questions. Maybe some other questions along the way, but four or five big ones. Here's the first one. What qualifies as a spiritual gift? Ever wondered that? What, what qualifies? <laughs> the word most often in the Bible, not the only, but the most common word for Spiritual gifts in the Bible is the word charismata. Now, even if you've never learned one word of Greek in your life, you can hear that. Where that's where we get our word charismatic. It just means a grace thing, something given in grace. And so the word's not as technical as we might want to make it out to be. Um, over the last 50 years or more here in North America, the charismatic movement has been so controversial that when we hear the word charismatic, when we hear the word charismatic gifts, we tend to think very technically. Oh, that's talking about supernatural gifts. That's talking about doing miracles or, or speaking in tongues. And when we hear the word charismatic gifts or spiritual gifts, our minds tend to go there. But in the Bible, that's not how the word is used. It's not nearly as narrow as what we might assume. It's not so technical as we might assume. Did you know in the Bible, even the gift of salvation itself is called a charisma? Even the gift of salvation is called a, a grace gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the charisma, the grace gift, is from the Lord. He gives gifts, eternal life. If you read 1 Corinthians from beginning to end, it's fascinating that when you get to chapter 7, when Paul's talking about marriage and singleness, 
Guess what Mary just called in 1 Corinthians 7, 7? It's called a charisma. It's called a spiritual gift. Guess what singleness is called in 1 Corinthians 7, 7? It's called a spiritual gift. And so we need to be careful that we don't get locked into a narrowness that's not represented in the Bible. The Bible isn't using this word in just a narrow way. But in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, it does seem to have an emphasis on gifts that benefit the church. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see these gifts the Holy Spirit gives to strengthen the church. It's important when we read the list in 1 Corinthians 12 that we remember that this is not an exhaustive list. These are not all the gifts there are. It's a sampling. And so let's look at some of the samples that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. In verse 8, he uses this phrase, the utterance or the message of wisdom. Now, I'm going to be careful with my definitions here. I'm going to say it this way. Maybe this refers to applying the truth of the gospel. Uh, a message of wisdom, an utterance of wisdom might have to do with applying the gospel in practical ways. Why, why am I being cautious here? Why am I saying maybe? Well, because if you notice, Paul never gives a definition. Paul didn't say the message of wisdom is such and such. Uh, he's just mentioning it, and we're supposed to know what that means, I guess. Um, and so we're looking at the word, we're looking at the etymology of the word, we're looking at the context. Um, and it's probably what it means. Um, it's not just being wise. It's having the ability to communicate that, having an utterance, a message. So here are people who have this gift of the Spirit where they can take the gospel and apply it in very practical ways by communicating that to the church. And then right after that is the utterance or the message of knowledge. Now, if our understanding is right on the previous one, the message of wisdom, maybe the message of knowledge has to do with the content. Here's someone who is moved by the Spirit to explain the meaning of the gospel. The meaning, you know, so this is what it means. And then the person with the utterance of wisdom can say, well, therefore, that's the difference this should make in your life or in your family or in our church. Verse 9, Paul mentions the gift of faith. Now, this is, not the faith we, <clears throat> this is not the faith we need to get saved. Um, I like Gordon Fee's definition. He said, the supernatural conviction that God will reveal his power or mercy in a special way in a specific instance. These are people, these people that have this gift usually have an unusual confidence that God can and will work in specific situations when the rest of us are sitting there thinking, I sure hope this works. <laughs> You, you know people like that? <clears throat> you know people that you think have the gift of faith? We just have such a confidence that God's going to accomplish this, that it encourages us to join them in this movement forward, uh, seeking to serve God in ways we hadn't anticipated. <clears throat> I know some of us like to read Christian biographies, and I think a Christian biography that illustrates this lived out in a person is the story of George Mueller. Some of you might remember the story of George Mueller. He was an Englishman over 100 years ago who started a whole series of orphanages in England with no visible means of support. <laughs> I remember as a kid reading Young Rebel Bristol, one of the uh, children's editions of the biography of George Mueller. And I remember reading a story where the orphanage had no food. Had no food. It was breakfast. And the kids are all at the table, and, and Mr. Mueller said, Children, let's thank the Lord for the food he's about to provide. 
what food? And as they prayed, there was a knock on the door, and a delivery man was delivering a wagon of bread, I think it was, knocked on the door and said, my, my wagon wheel broke, and I can't deliver this bread. Could you use it? And he said, oh, that's, that's astonishing. <laughs> well, here's a man who believed God's going to provide, and he believed that without a lot of what we would call tangible evidence. He had the gift of faith. And I realize some of you are newer to the church. For you veterans of the church, I often think of John Lloyd, who's been with the Lord now for several years. But I can remember 20-some years ago, John Lloyd praying in faith that God would use CCC as a sending church, that we would send people from our congregation with a light of the gospel into the dark corners of the world. I remember those prayer meetings. And you know what? Within a year or two, we were sending out four families from this church when we were a smaller church. And as the lead pastor at that time, I remember thinking, Lord, how are we going to do this? Lord, do you need to rein in John? (laughs) No, let him fly. Let him fly. (laughs) And you know we haven't stopped, have we? But see, there was a, a member of our church who had the gift of faith, who impacted many of us to move forward because he believed God is going to work in a way that is unforeseen so far. That's the gift of faith, I believe. Next in Paul's list is gifts of healing, or technically gifts of healings. These are people that have the ability to heal someone physically, maybe other ways that are not normally explicable. Interesting, and I don't think we should miss this, interestingly, the Holy Spirit led Paul to use both of those words in the plural. And I think there's a reason for that. It's not gift of healing. It's gifts of healings. You hear the plurals there? They're both plural. Gifts of healings. And I think sometimes we we read this word in the Bible, the gift of healing or gifts of healing, and and we think, oh, this is a person who always has the gift of healing, and if, if he wants to, he can heal anybody at any time of any disease. I don't think that's the picture Paul's painting here. If you remember, Paul himself was able to heal certain people at Ephesus. But his old friend, his protege, his son in the faith, Timothy, had stomach problems. And apparently Paul didn't heal that, that problem, that stomach problem that Timothy had. And there seems to be an implication here by using the plurals, gifts of healings, that this is a gifting of the Holy Spirit that enables certain people to heal certain diseases at certain times. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's automatic, that it's somehow mechanical. I have the gift of healing. I can heal whoever I want, whenever I want, of whatever disease I want. That's not the picture. It's that the Holy Spirit moves in supernatural ways when he wants, upon whom he wants, to heal a disease, a particular disease in a particular time. Gifts of healing. There, there are times when people demonstrate that gift. Similar, the next gift that Paul mentions in verse 10 is the working of miracles, going beyond hmm, the natural, seeing God suspend his normal way of doing things. It could be, I don't think I want to limit it. It's doing something that cannot be explained by normal means. There are times when God will move on a certain person to do a certain thing for a certain reason, and the rest of us sit back and we say, isn't God amazing? And then the gift of prophecy. 
Pastor Mark will teach us more about that, I know, when we get to chapter 14. And he's also been teaching on that on Wednesday nights several times recently. For now, let me define the New Testament gift of prophecy this way. Speaking to God's people when prompted by the Holy Spirit under his influence in ways that can be readily understood. So it's a spontaneous movement of the Spirit, speaking in understandable, intelligible ways that help people in a particular situation. So the Spirit's actively involved, moving someone to speak to the church in a way that helps. It's both intelligible and spontaneous. And then a corollary to that, distinguishing between the spirits. This gift has in mind helping the church sort out which prophecies, which miracles are genuine, and which are counterfeit. We need protection that way, don't we? Because not every so-called prophecy is legitimate. Not every so-called miracle is legitimate. Some are counterfeits. And there are some people that are gifted by the Spirit to help us sort that out. If you read 1 John 4, it seems pretty apparent that uh, having a, a solid foundational doctrinally is help you, will help a person with this gift. And then the one that gets more attention in many churches, verse 10, speaking in various kinds of tongues. This is not the same as being bilingual or multilingual. And it is different. Now, listen, it's different than what we read in Acts 2. Uh, the gift of tongues here in 1 Corinthians 12 is not the same as what we see in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when people were understanding in their own language what was being spoken by Peter and the other apostles. That was a miracle of understanding that people understood. This is not necessarily intelligible. Um, one definition of speaking in tongues that I'll give is this. Being moved by the Holy Spirit to speak to God, it's vertical, speak to God, possibly but not necessarily in the presence of the church, in a language that's not readily intelligible. So it's not like um, someone starts speaking in tongue and Brad says, oh, that's Swahili. Or some of you Spanish speakers say, oh, that's Spanish. Or somebody else says, well, that's Greek. No, this is an unintelligible language. The Spirit prompts certain people to speak to God in a language that's not necessarily intelligible. It doesn't have to be in front of the church. In fact, probably it's not usually that way. But if it is, this next gift is required, as we'll see in chapter 14. Verse 10 says, the interpretation of tongues. This is a necessary companion to the speaking in tongues if that tongue is to somehow benefit the church. I said the gift of tongues is an unintelligible language. How is that going to benefit the church? It's not going to. Unless someone has the gift given by the Spirit to say what that means is this. And so if this gift is going to be used in a public way, if this gift is going to benefit the church, it has to be interpreted. We'll see that again in chapter 14. That's explaining to the congregation by the power of the Spirit the meaning of the message just spoken in tongues. Now if we drop down to verse 28, we see some other gifts. There's the gift of apostles. Technically, this word refers to the 12, those men who were specifically, personally chosen by Jesus Christ, who witnessed his resurrection, and were given his special commission his special commission to be his representatives, to be his spokesmen. 
we would call these 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. I like to refer to those 12 as apostles with a capital A. Now, if you do a word study, interestingly, you're going to find the word apostle on several occasions for men other than those 12. And I would call these apostles with a small a. Now, if you want the references, I'll give them to you later, but Titus, Epaphroditus, Andronicus, Junia, probably a lady, James, these people were called apostles in the New Testament too, but I would not call them necessarily apostles of Jesus Christ. It's not so much that Jesus Christ personally commissioned them to go out, but it was more like the churches commissioned them to go out. Apostle just means uh, sent on a mission. Sent on a mission. And so there are apostles with a small a who are sent by the churches on a mission, usually to evangelize, to plant churches. In our day, we would probably call these people missionaries or church planters, apostles with a small a. And then also in verse 28, teachers. Um, this is a little bit different than the gift of utterance of knowledge. Uh, that is probably spontaneous person just feels moved by the Holy Spirit to, to give a message to the church, might be even just a sentence or two. But the gift of teaching implies doing your homework, doing your study, studying the Word of God, and then communicating those truths flowing out of your study to the congregation. Pastors have to have this gift, 1 Timothy 3, but others can have it too, Romans 12. And then in verse 28, Paul mentions the gift of helping. Uh, when, when you think of the word charismatic, when you think of the word charismatic gifts, spiritual gifts, does this gift come to your mind? Oh, yeah, the gift of helping. <laughs> oh, Paul did. <laughs> he calls helping one of those spiritual gifts. That the Holy Spirit empowers certain people just to be helpers. Uh, they look for needs in the church, physical needs, um, spiritual needs. How can I help? I want to help. And I know this is... Uh, Second or third time recently, we've mentioned our dear friend, the late Ed Tooney. Um, Ed greeted most of us at this door for the last 20 years or so, or, or at the previous building. And um, he's in heaven now. And I said to Gladine on the way over this morning, I'm going to miss seeing Ed this morning. But if you were at his memorial service, you know that multiple people talked about Ed's gift of helping. Ed was always serving, always helping. Ed clearly had that gift. And then verse 28, the gift of administrating. Originally, this word was a nautical term. It had to do with the guy that steered the ship. He was the helmsman, the guy that steered the ship. And it probably has the implication of guiding the church. A love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we pursue that, we pursue love. Lord, give me a love for your people. Give me a love for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I want to help. I want to help. I, I, I want to benefit your people. Lord, how can I do that? Lord, would you empower me? Would you enable me to help these people that you love and that I love? And the Holy Spirit says, yes, I will empower you. I will empower you to show love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to give you gifts that you can use to benefit your brothers and sisters in Christ. I loved Pastor Mark's illustration last week. I wrote it down. I thanked him for it when he talked about spiritual gifts are like the Holy Spirit giving us a gift card. Keep that image. It's a good one. Thank you, brother. The Holy Spirit 
gives us spiritual gifts, it's like him giving us a gift card. But the gift card is not to spend on yourself. The gift card is to spend on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's, here's a gift card. Now go spend it on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pursue love. I'll show you the excellent way. Pursue love. The love is not merely the manner in which you use our gifts. It's the motivation. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to help them. I want to benefit them. I want to serve them. Holy Spirit, help me to do that more effectually. Help me to do that more fruitfully. And he does, doesn't he? Another question, who decides? Who decides who gets which gifts? What's verse 11 say? All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit decides. Actually, in verses 4 through 6, so the uh, Father and Son are also involved, but in particular emphasis here is the work of the Spirit. You know what that means, friends? If it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that's given you gifts, given me gifts, there, there is no reason, there's no room to be proud. If someone gives you a true gift, you didn't do anything to deserve it, you didn't do anything to merit it, someone gave you a gift, how can you be proud of a gift? It is a grace thing. It is something given to you in grace. You, you didn't earn it. So none of us should be passing, well, I, I have the gift of administration. You should put me in charge here. You know, I have the gift of teaching. I ought to be up front teaching all the time. I don't, I don't do toilets. I don't wash windows. I'm a teacher. You, you see the problem with that thinking. That the gifts are given by the Holy Spirit for the common good. He gives everybody gifts and nobody should be proud of their gift. Nobody. The corollary is also true, isn't it? No one should be ashamed of their gift. No one should kind of hide in the background and say, well, I just, I just have the gift of helps. We need helpers. We need help. <laughs> no, nobody needs to be proud. No one needs to be ashamed. And similarly, we should look at each other that way. So I want to ask that question next. How should this teaching on spiritual gifts impact us at CCC? Well, as we look at ourselves, it should humble us. And it should empower us. The Holy Spirit has given me a love for his church. And he's given me certain abilities to benefit the church. I want to humbly serve. I want to serve for the benefit of his people. And it should impact how we see one another in the church. The fact that someone has a gift different from yours doesn't make that person better than you or lesser than you. We don't need to, you know, somehow admire them and worship them. Neither should we look down our noses. Diversity is good. Variety is good. The Holy Spirit's given us a variety of gifts for the common good that all of us can help. So, in conclusion, nearly every one of us, I, I didn't do a survey so I can't speak absolutely, but I would guess nearly every one of us wants to be part of a church that's loving, making a difference in this world for the glory of Christ, and what that means, friends, is we all have a part to play. You have a part to play. I have a part to play. Did you know there are no spectators in the church of Jesus Christ? 
there's no bench sitters. Everybody's on the field. Everybody's on the court. We all have a part to play. Do you know what your part is? Some of you do. Some of you say, I'm confident the Spirit's given me these abilities at this time to benefit His church. But some of you scratch your heads and say, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't, I'm not sure what my part is. I'm not sure how the Spirit wants to use me. Well, can I give you some pastoral pointers? I'll just call them that, pastoral pointers. First, pray. Pray. Ask the Lord to use you for His glory. Ask Him to give you a growing love for His people. Would you give me a love for your bride, the church? Would you give me a love, a growing love for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Use me to love those people well. So first, pray. Second, get informed. Isn't that what Paul did at the beginning of this passage, 1 Corinthians 12, 1? I do not want you to be uninformed. Get informed. Informed of what? Well, are you informed of the needs in the body of Christ? Are you paying attention? Um, looking around, seeing needs, listening as needs are expressed? Or are you informed of needs? And are you informed of the possible ways you could minister? We've read some samplings here. Are you informed of what spiritual gifts are and how they can be helpful? In today's bulletin, you have a handout called Discerning Your Spiritual Gifts. Why don't you pull it out now? Does anybody need one of these that didn't get one? Maybe we could have some people in the back. Vanitza needs one. Um, some of you guys want to run with some copies of this? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Pastor Mark, for writing this up. There's a sampling of gifts here. And even as we said before, we're not expecting you to read this, by the way. I just want to show you what it looks like. <laughs> Unless you have super good eyes, you're not going to read that. Um, but there's this handout that just gives kind of a sampling of gifts and descriptions of what they mean. And then on the back, some practical suggestions on what they do with that. So get informed. That's the point. Get informed of how you might be able to serve. Then third, and, and listen carefully to this one. Get moving. Get moving. I remember as a kid someone giving the illustration. They said, you can't steer a ship that's sitting dead in the water. You can't steer a ship that isn't moving. Well, get moving. And you say, well, I can't move till I know my gifts. No, you can move without knowing your gifts. Get moving. Serve. What are the needs? I tell people that I mentor, I said, Always be willing to serve in whatever way is needed. And when you have a choice, use your gifted area. So always be willing to serve in whatever needs there are. When you have a choice, I can do this or that, pick your gifted area. You'll be more fruitful. But get moving. What needs are there? Can you get involved? How can you help? If you are pursuing love, if you are pursuing love for the body of Christ, you're going to get involved. You're going to say, I'd like to help with that, or maybe I could help with that. And it might be something small, it might be something temporary, but you say, yeah, I could help set up for that, or, or I could pick someone up at the airport that's coming to speak at the church, or I could, whatever it is, I could take a meal in for someone who's sick. You're just listening for needs. You say, hey, I could do that. Hey, I could do that. And, and you're volunteering, you're taking initiative, you're moving. The interesting thing, and this is just my own personal observation, but as you get moving, as you begin to serve in the body of Christ, you're probably going to find certain ministries just charge your batteries. <laughs> you say, that was great. Lord, would you, would you want to do that again, please? 
that you say that ministry was so delightful to me. It might, might be hospitality. It might be teaching. It might be helping. It could be anything. But as you do that ministry, you find yourself saying, that was enjoyable. I saw fruitfulness from that. I found, I found people benefiting from me getting involved in that way. So get moving and then pay attention. And so that would be the next one. Number four is pay attention. Pay attention to words of affirmation. Are people coming up to you and saying things like, that was so kind of you. When you stopped by the hospital and ministered to me when I was sick, you have no idea how that served me. You have no idea how much that ministered to me when you came by. And you start hearing that repeatedly. As you go visit people in the hospital, they say, that blessed me so much. And you say, Lord, have you given me gifts of mercy? Would you give me more opportunities to bless your people, people that I love too, by showing mercy? And you're listening to words of affirmation. You know, you're teaching, and, and some of the kids that you're teaching say, I get it. And you say, praise God. You know, and you're getting words of affirmation that maybe people are getting it when you teach, but you're paying attention to words of affirmation. Just on that issue, can I just request that all of us take more initiative in affirming gifts in other people? So, you maybe notice a young person that's only been walking with the Lord for a short while, and you see how they're so effectual, the Holy Spirit's using them in certain ways, and you point that out. Point out the gift of the Spirit. Don't just say, well, you, you sure are a good teacher. But why not say, you know, as I listen to you teach, I wonder if the Spirit has given you the gift of teaching. Because when you teach, I learn. You know, and you're giving credit to the Holy Spirit. It's His gift. But you're affirming the person that that might be theirs. Um, so let's all make a point of that. In your family, in your life group, in your circles of influence, let's make a point to affirm gifts of the Spirit in other people. And then fifth, seize opportunities. You know, there are programs in the church. And as one of your pastors, I know there's lots of programs in our church. And some of the programs in our church need lots of volunteers. <laughs> Um, but not every ministry is a program. You don't have to have a program to show mercy. You don't have to have a program to demonstrate the gift of hospitality. You don't have to have a program to encourage someone. You can just do it. And so seize opportunities, my friends. I was reading some of the parallel passages on gifts, and I read these. Romans 12, 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. How direct is that? Well, let's use them. Or Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, we'll use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Use it. And so, friends, use it. There are no spectators at Christ's covenant church. There's no, no, I take that back. There is an audience. There's an audience of one. There's an audience of one. The rest of us are serving him. We are ministering to him as we minister to his people.